you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I'm Jason Kelsey, and you're watching the NFL Report. All right, welcome to the NFL Report. I'm Steve White, here with my guy James Palmer and JP. We're not going to linger too much in this A block because we have a loaded show. We have got the NFC Defensive Player of the Week and Falcon Safety Jesse Bates. We have Tennessee State Head Football Coach Eddie George, who, by the way, was named one of 25 Pro Football Hall of Fame semifinalists for the class. He's a Buckeye. A 2024. I was about to say, say JP, it's a Buckeye. But, JP, we're looking at the the Week 13 football schedule. It's kind of like you walk into a real fancy restaurant. And you look at the menu, and you're kind of like, I'm not seeing a lot of stuff I like right here. But, JP, there are two beautiful entrees on here. We have got the 49ers at the Eagles. We've got the Broncos at some Texans. There's some good tapas on there as well. But, James, let's look at the big game of the week. And and that's the Eagles and 49ers rematch, rematch of the NFC Championship game. And... Take it from a different perspective because there's two coaches in this game who aren't getting talked about enough with this burgeoning rivalry. You know, and I don't think Nick Sirianni gets talked about enough, maybe outside of the Delaware Valley in the Philadelphia area, maybe because of the way he rubs some opposing fan bases with the way oh, that yeah. he uh, acts post game. <laughs> And pregame and during the week. But I will say this. Nick Sirianni needs to be in the discussion for coach of the year with what he's gone through and what he has done with this team. The best record in all football. They're 11-1. and one. He lost both coordinators. He is maybe the most competitive person. I could lose the word maybe. He is the most competitive person in that entire building. And the only thing I think Stevie likes more than competing and winning is situational football. I think we do have to give him his flowers in a sense to where he spends more time maybe on situational football than any coach in all of football. I've watched it firsthand in training camp, the way they go through end of half, end of game. And he has laid into Jalen Hurts. I've seen it firsthand in terms of maybe mismanaging the clock by a few seconds and able to give Jake Elliott time during practice to kick a game winner or a game tire. But the way that they have gotten better throughout games, they have had poor starts, the way they don't panic, the way that they adjust throughout the course of a game, Steve, and the way that they have played. They are 5-0 this season when trailing at halftime. They're the only team with a winning record. The rest of the league is 35-129. and He just finds ways to win football games, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for the way the Eagles have won football games because they've all been close this year. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Nick Sirianni, to me, doesn't get enough discussion about doing a great job Over the past two years, the Eagles are tied for the best regular season record. That says a lot when you look at some of the key players they've lost. Javon Hargrave, some of the safeties that they Mm. lost. You know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, you mentioned they lost both of their coordinators. And he just keeps winning while, as you said, grading opposing fan bases and grading coaches on other teams. We both know this. There's not a lot of love for this guy, the way he kind of rubs it in people's faces. He is himself, though. He is himself, and and that's the thing. I think the authenticity is why the players buy in, why you can have veterans like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and young people come in and work together and grow. And his player development is one of the best things that he does. Let's flip it over to the other side, though, and Kyle Shanahan. And we all know how great of an offensive coach he is, but I want to give him his props, especially coming to a game like this. This is going to be a very interesting game because we know the players have been barking. But the way he brings in someone like Chase Young, yes, again, Kyle, an offensive coach, mm-hmm. but Chase Young in there, gets him ready right away. The way Kyle has coached up his coaches, he loses a fleet every year, continues to develop guys to promote from within or hire someone like a Steve Wilkes and get his guys going. I think the matchup for this game and the way they are both going to be prepared is key, JP. I think the lead in the second half, though, depending who has it, could determine the outcome based on how both of these teams have have worked out. Since 2017, you led us right into it, Steve. 1-30 and 
When trailing by more than three points entering the fourth quarter are the San Francisco 49ers. That is, that is a far cry from what we have seen. Stunning. It is stunning. What we have seen from the Philadelphia Eagles late in games where they almost have that belief and that confidence that I think starts from their head coach and is also right there with their quarterback in Jalen Hurts that there is just a sense we are going to win these games late. Does Kyle Shanahan get that kind of proverbial monkey off his back in a sense? Because that really might be, Steve, and this is why we're bringing it up, mainly because this could be a close game, but also that might be the only knock you have on Kyle Shanahan as a coach is the way some of these things have happened at the back end of games. Yep, JP, and the other game we're, we're talking about is going to be the Broncos, winners of five in a row, at the Houston Texans, whose coach, D'Amico Ryans, could have been the head coach at Denver when we look at the interview cycle. We're not going to talk about D'Amico much today because we talked about him a lot on this show. He clearly should be in the coach of the year conversation. But JP, tell us about the job that Sean Payton has done after being on kind of the Nathaniel Hackett plank after all that woofing he did in the offseason and starting off as slow as they did. I love that he said all that, Steve. They have this terrible start, and what happens? He still doesn't blink. He still doesn't flinch when they're 1-5, standing behind what he said, and now they're on this five-game win streak, and why are they? And when I talk to people in the building, these are the main things that I hear. One, he established a formula for winning. You know what that formula is? Don't lose the game. Don't find ways to lose games. And they're running the football really <laughs> constantly 31 rushes per game during this win streak and what I go back and look at free agency Steve what did he do on the offensive line when got Mike McGlinchey and Ben Powers who were known for what road run blockers. they are yep. run blockers and when they were throwing the football a lot in the early portion of the season those that offensive line was getting worked now, and we'll talk about it with Ryan Baldinger later in Baldy's favorite films, about how this offensive line has come together. Running the football has been a big part of it, but the special teams, some of the best in all of football, the defense turning the football over and the offense protecting it. Russell Wilson, look for one guy. He's not there. Maybe scramble for five and slide. It is a very efficient offense that doesn't make a lot of mistakes. That entire formula is established by Sean Payton. He's playing himself into a coach of the year candidacy this season. And there you go, JP. Also, you mentioned it. Brian Baldinger will be joining us with his film breakdowns of the Broncos and more. It's going to be also, great. Also, Leslie Frazier will be joining us on the show as well. Talk about the interim coach situation. He's lived it. But next, coming up, Falcon safety Jesse Bates, the thief there he of goes. the NFC South on the NFL Report after the break. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Falcons coming after Carr. Picked up. Picked off. Jesse Bates. He's got a shot. Bates to midfield. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. No question. Pick six. No flags. Boy, what a massive play. What a game-changing play for Jesse Bates and the Atlanta Falcons. Well, that monster play, a 92-yard interception return for a touchdown by the one and only Jesse Bates, star safety for the Atlanta Falcons and the NFC's defensive yeah. player of the week. 12 tackles, Jesse. It wasn't just the pick. We also had a monster force fumble on Taysom Hill as well. An unbelievable performance when you guys needed it. Let's go to the pick, though, because I'm always curious about this. You're, nobody's near you, Jesse, right? And you're going down yep. the sideline. What goes through your head? Is it like, please don't have a turf monster situation? Do you look up at the screen? <laughs> what happens for 92 yards? Run us through it. Yeah. Um, I think you you first you worry about catching the ball. Um, and then the second thing is uh, don't fall. Why Don't don't embarrass yourself while you're <laughs> running to the end zone. Uh, you know, thank God I kind of caught it on the run. So there was nobody really uh, chasing me. So. I wish I would have uh, had a better celebration plan right off the right off the jump, but um, you know, as a team got down there with me, we kind of settled down, took a deep breath, and we we had a cool celebration that uh, I think our media team captured. It was so nice, it was a special moment for us. It was good, but Jesse, there's nothing you could have done that could have 
you know, trumped the ludicrous drop from the ceiling uh, at the beginning of the game. I don't know if you were on the field for oh. that. That was insane. Hey, so we talk about the 92-yarder, but you already have four interceptions for the season. I mean, that, that, that ties your career high. You guys still have plenty of football left. What is going on schematically or what you guys are doing defensively that might put you in position to make some of the plays that you're making? Yeah, um, I think everyone kind of sees those plays that I make, but uh, it's really a reflection of what our defense is all about. Um, you know, I can't do those things without, you know, the other 10 guys doing their job. Um, I think people see the, that punch out. If, you know, my fellow safety next to me, Richie, um, doesn't make that open field tackle with a great, you know, open field tackle with a bunch of space, um, I, I wouldn't be able to punch that ball out. So um, I, I give all the credit to my guys. Uh, you know, we work hard. There's been ups and downs throughout the season, but uh, no one has, has questioned that the character has been great for us. Um, the mindset, everything has been great for us on the defensive end. So um, just continue to, uh, lead and, and continue to grow um, as a team. We talk a lot on the phone, Jesse, over the last couple of years. Modesty is a tremendous quality you have. But let's throw that aside for a moment here. <laughs> you don't win Defensive Player of the Week, and you don't have the career you have without the work you put in Monday through Saturday. With these yeah. picks that you've had, specifically this one you just had on Sunday, how much of this is the study that you put in and when it kind of lines up from what you've seen and the work you've put in during the week, is there a split second where you're like, yep, this is what I've stuck, and then you make the play? How does that work? Because I know you study, like, unbelievable sets. Absolutely. Um, I feel like that's been a, you know, bigger, um, you know, challenge for me is to step in that leadership role and uh, bring other guys with me when I'm studying film um, during those off days when we have those extra meetings. Um, those things pay off. Uh, I always tell the guys, if you want to touch the ball in the game, we've got to touch the ball throughout the week, throughout practice. Um, you know, those those cut-ups that coaches put out for us, I mean, that is, it all comes down to that. And then just being able to take a deep breath and, and translate it over to the field, I think that's where, uh, you know, greatness is, um, is, is, is inserted. So, you, you mentioned leadership, and this is interesting I because that. I look at how your roster was put together this offseason when they made so many free agent moves, especially on defense, but they added you. Calais Campbell, David Anyamata, Janu Smith, Bud Dupree, all guys who have made playoff runs, right, who've played deep mm -hmm. into the playoffs, you in a Super Bowl. Now that you guys are in the home stretch, you're leading the NFC South, what do you think that leadership does, even though it's primarily on the defensive side of the ball, for a team that doesn't have a ton of guys who've been to the playoffs before? Yeah, I think it, it plays a huge role. Um, I feel like at every level, like you said, we brought in, you know, people that have been there before they, they experience. I think you get in these seasons, they're, they're very long, uh, you know, and the importance of the leadership in the locker room is very important because you do the same thing week after week after week, you go out and practice, but the importance of the leadership and um, going out there with an intention to get better every single week uh, it's something that, that, that doesn't really show up, you know, on paper or anything like that. But um, it's very important to, you know, a team's success later on in the season. Um, I think that's what we got the right guys in this locker room, the right guys to, to follow those leaders as well. Um, and I think that's what's showing uh, for us right now. We just got to continue to stack these wins. And uh, like you said, we'll have a home game, uh, playoff game in the ATL, baby. Oh, I, I don't know what that crowd will be like. You know, Steve and I oh, both live be, there. It'll I mean, be on point. Can get, oh, no, it'll uh, you be, know, it'll can be, be on fire. Everybody will be coming from the roof. We both live there. <laughs> it'll be yep. It'll be wild. It'll be wild. And you mentioned you mentioned kind of being there before. And I look at where you guys are now. You're sitting in the fourth spot. You're 3-0 and in the division. That's the massive part that stands out to me. Nobody else has more than one win in the division. When you're looking to put a run together, Jesse, in the second half of this season, you've been on some Bengals teams that have gone on phenomenal runs in the second half of a season. What did you learn in that locker room maybe or what you picked up there that you can take to Atlanta that stood out to you during those second half runs that you can kind of spread that throughout your locker room potentially? Right, yeah, like I said, I think uh, as these seasons get very long, you, you can't win, you know, there's six games guaranteed um, that we have guaranteed as a team together. Uh, you can't win all six of those games in this first week. It's just one week at a time. And just, like I said, having that growth mindset as a team um, and making sure that not only the coaches are saying these things, the players are saying these in meetings on the field, you know, off the field, that, that has to be a, a collective uh, 
kind of a group effort um, that, I, like I said, I think that we have the, the perfect guys for. Um, so, yeah, it's just you want to play your best ball at the end of the season. I feel like that's what we're doing. Well, you have the Jets coming up this week. And, I mean, look, I, I know most defensive players are like, we got the Jets coming up, right? They've got issues at their quarterback. How do you guys, with where you are at five and six, keep the mentality so razor sharp saying, this is the opportunity we have to take. We've got to capitalize on what's going on over there and how well we played last week to get the win, like you said, to begin stacking them to make that run. Yeah, yeah we've had troubles, um, you know, with first-time starting quarterbacks throughout this year. So yeah. uh, we, have, we have an experience uh, with not you know, letting those type of guys off the hook. Um, and it really just goes back to just being us, uh, just really going back to honing into the details of exactly what our assignment is, what our alignment is. And then after that is just really uh, beating a guy across from you. So uh, that's what, what we've been preaching. Um, you know, every week we want to get better, uh, win, lose or draw, uh, because we know what's coming for um, what's ahead of us. Um, you know, and that's championship like games and playoff like games. Um, you know, you can't ask for anything better than that. Great point. Good stuff. That is, that's, that's a great point. You want you want the best players playing on the biggest stages, and, and you guys have an unbelievably talented running back. I have to ask this because you probably went through it just in the offseason and in training camp. Bijan Robinson in the open field, and you're a safety, and that's your assignment in a sense. Is there anything more difficult than tracking him down in the open field? Yeah, it, I mean, Bijan is uh, you know, a character of his own. Um, you know, we always joked about it throughout training camp, like, hey, like, What's wrong with this dude? How can he cut like that off one leg? And, uh, you know, for the whole world to kind of see that those first couple weeks um, was no surprise to us as a team. Um, but one thing about Bijan, he's the most humble guy. Uh, he's a, he's an even better person. Um, just another great guy, like I said, in the locker room that will someday be a leader in this locker room um, and in this community as well. Yeah, Jesse, I mean, it's tough it is to tackle Bijan in the open field. Uh, tackling Tyler Algier in the hole can't be uh... – uh, anything easy as well. Well, look, this is also <laughs> about my guy, CP. Yeah, he's a beast. Yeah. That's right, CP, Cordero. Hey, look, we, we know coming up across the NFL, it is the My Cause, My Cleats uh, initiative over the next few weeks. And you've been doing something for years with your JB3 uh, initiative for, for single mothers. Why don't you sure. tell us a little bit about that and why it is so vital to you? Because I've seen you've already pledged a million dollars to causes that support single mothers yeah steve i appreciate you asking about that um you know it's a very uh important topic to me you know i was raised by a single mom and being able to um have an impact in the communities that i'm in back at home even in fort wayne indiana uh making that impact with her um is something that's near and dear to my heart um and it's just you know there's a lot of single moms a lot of guys in the nfl that can relate to that same kind of story so um it's it's no no better feeling than, you know, helping out people, helping out people that are, that are in need, um, that are in you know, similar situations that you were in at some point of your life. Um, and, and for me to do it with my mom is what makes it even more special. So, um, you know, all the love to, you know, all the single moms out there, all the organizations out there across the world that, that support single moms. Um, I can't say enough about that. I know everybody wants to probably play their entire career, Jetsu, with one franchise, maybe be that guy that goes 20 years in one pot. But you also, when you change teams, you have a whole nother community that you can impact in a sense. And now you're in Atlanta and you have that ability there as well. How much has this changed to a new organization and, and a new location and a new community that maybe gets you a little bit excited now that you're part of the ATL and you can make a difference there as well, specifically with single mothers? Absolutely. I mean, nothing against Cincinnati. Uh, obviously, Atlanta is a huge market. Um, it's bigger than Cincinnati. Nothing against my Midwest people out there. But uh, it's, it's a great opportunity. Like I said, I've already um, chosen an organization with Solomon's Temple um, who, you know, raise, who, who have families um, that stays in that temple and they feed them. And uh, that's where they live. This is their home. And just being able to have an impact around this Christmas and these holidays, um, it's something that I'm, I'm very, very happy to do um, and very, very blessed to be able to be a blessing. Jesse, this is absolutely fantastic. And before awesome. we get out of here, one question, because you are from Fort Wayne, Indiana, the most famous football player, uh, player from there, is it you or Hall of Famer Rod Woodson? <laughs> Come on hey, now. 
it's, it's all of us, baby. Hey, That's tell Rod, shout about. out to my guy Rod. It's two six zero Fort Wayne. Love it, Fort Wayne, Indiana, baby. There we go. Hey, Jesse Bates, keep on doing wonderful things it. on the field, off the field. You are truly a treasure for this game. We appreciate you taking a couple minutes to join the NFL Report. Absolutely. I appreciate you, James. Appreciate you, Steve. I'll talk to you guys soon, man. God bless. I got to get my hands on that hoodie, Steve. I got to get my hands on that hoodie. But coming up next, Eddie George, one of the toughest guys to ever buckle a trend strap in the NFL. He is once again a modern-era semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The Tennessee State head football coach joins the NFL Report next. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, welcome back to the NFL Report. And earlier this week, the Pro Football Hall of Fame announced its 25 modern-era semifinalists. You're seeing the names here, those guys in the bold, Antonio Gates, the tight end, Julius Peppers, former defensive end. Those are the first-time, first-ballot-eligible players for the class of 2024. But now we are joined by one of those semifinalists, and that is Former Tennessee Titans running back, Eddie George, Whew. the head football coach at Tennessee State <laughs> University. Eddie, I know you just signed the home-and-home home deal with my alma mater, Howard University. Looking forward to, <laughs> looking forward to those two games. Hey, but Eddie, second time in a row you've made the cut for the final 25. I mean, this is rare air. Like, what, what is it like to be recognized as a semifinalist right now? It's an accomplishment uh, unto itself. Of course, you would like to uh, don the the gold jacket, but uh, to be in the conversation, uh, to uh, have the opportunity to have your your case heard. Um, you see all the names on that list. I mean, it's you can make a case for anybody on there. Um, and there's some there's some dude of dudes. There's some dogs on there. Um, so uh, I'm really honored. I'm I'm thrilled. Um, and it's, it's special to to be recognized in that capacity. Uh, and again, it's uh, it's a long way before the finish line. But certainly, when you're mentioned among those great uh, NFL players that have played the game, um, it's it's something to be uh, proud of. Yeah, you played against a lot of the guys on that list. I'm curious if there's you, you mentioned you could make an argument for almost all of them, and that's why they're on the list. Is there anybody you scroll yeah. down and go like he has to get in? Like this guy has to get in. I, I think when you look at the guys that have been on there a long time, I mean, um, you look at Tory Holt. I think this is his tenth yeah. uh, semifinalist um, deal. I, at some point, it's like, okay, you know, he's on there yep. ten, t- ten times. You got to put him in at yep. some point in time. You, you know, he's been he's done so much for the game. You think about can you write the NFL history without Tory Holt? And the answer is no. I think everybody on this list is deserving mm-hmm. to get in. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You know, Fred Taylor certainly belongs to be in the Hall of Fame, um, given his 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 track record and his career. Uh, Tiki Barber, same same situation. Um, I mean, again, every player on this list has contributed to the history of the NFL. And if you're on it at some point, I think – you know, you're deserving to go in. Same thing with Ricky Waters. Um, yeah, I think we've all mm-hmm. have done something in our time to be deserving to go in the Hall of Fame um, if we are blessed to do so. So, Eddie, you know, you mentioned yourself. We got yourself. We got Fred Taylor. You mentioned Ricky Waters, running backs, right? As we, we continue to see in, in the NFL, there's no more workhorses like you. I mean, guys who are touching the ball 30 times a game. Yeah, um, right. When you look at where the game has gone in terms of the position of the running back, could we, I mean, I mean, I hate saying it, be nearing the way of the dinosaur when it comes to running backs getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I think it's uh, certainly things go in cycles. Uh, I think it's going to get back to that at some point in time. You know, you don't have a bunch of Patrick Mahomes, that type of talent, a quarterback. 
uh, in the NFL. I mean, you have him and maybe a couple other guys that are truly elite. Outside of that, you've got a few guys that are really good football players and really good quarterbacks. So at some point in time, you've got to go back to um, running the football, running effectively. And guys like Derrick Henry, you know, he's um, making a case for why he should be in the Hall of Fame one day. Um, what he's put up, the numbers that he's he's put up. So, um, you know, during our time in the uh, the late '90s, early 2000s, and that's when the book like, we've all played during that era. The 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 the, the offense was run through the running backs. Um, yep. certainly what, you mm-hmm. know, so carrying it 30 times in, you know, I had a 400 yard, uh, almost a 400 yard year, a carry year, uh, that means something without missing a game and in a physical, physical <laughs> yes. uh, conference, you know, playing Baltimore <laughs> twice, Pittsburgh twice, Jacksonville twice. So it yeah. was murder's row and in you know, any football purist that watched the game during that time, would have to understand that any back that uh, had to go through that gauntlet and and was the focal point of their team um, is deserving of some type of accolade of going into the Hall of Fame because I'm I'm dealing with it physically. With hurt shoulders, bad knees, bad ankles, bad back, you know, everything. So you um you you it's a, it was a very physical ball game. Eddie, I don't know how you did it, honestly. When you look at the list of over ten thousand yards and, and and the number of consecutive starts, it's you and Jim Brown. I mean that that's yep. the end of the list, and it's yep. remarkable. Right. What what when I think back at that and watching you play, what I'm curious about is how many weeks or is there a certain game that stands out where during the week you were like, mm. "There's no way I'm playing Sunday," and then you still find a way to get on the field on Sunday. How often did that happen with you? I'll tell you what, my, uh, in 2000, the year that I had the most carries in my career, um, my best year statistically, mm-hmm. uh, I was dealing with a, um, a turf toes and I, my, it had to get surgically repaired at the end oh. of the season. And, um, I'm in a boot the entire week. And this is when I'm playing against the Ravens 2000 defense. Okay. With Sarah Goose, Sam Adams, Ray Lewis, that defense. Yeah. So again, I never missed a start due to injury. And I had an opportunity to tap out and say, hey, I can't go this week because my toe wasn't right. I hadn't practiced. Uh, you know, I'm just not myself. No, nah, I had to I had to strap it up and go, man. I had to buckle up my chin strap, you know, take the uh Toradol shot, line up and get busy because uh, we only had a, a finite window to win a championship. And I felt like hell, if I'm at 50%, I'm better. At fifty percent than everybody anybody else in the league, and you know at that time the offense was <laughs> yes. a run offense. So I'm going to go out there and, and and put everything on the line because I don't know if I'll ever be back in the situation. So you know it crossed my mind, but it, it was it, I never took it seriously because I felt like if I could walk or jog, I can play, and I'm going to play extremely well. I'm going to play like a warrior. I may have to alter my game a little bit, but this is a part of the game. You have to manage that. You know, I, I, I never believed in, um, you know, that that manage, that load management term that they have nowadays for these millennials. Uh, there was no such thing as that, you know. So uh, I'm just cut from the old school, man. And uh, that's that's what I believe in. Hey, so, Eddie, we're seeing you wear that Tennessee State uh, sweatshirt because you're the head football coach there. How many times do you tell your guys that when they want to tap out or get soft? <laughs> Hey, now, listen, we had that conversation at the end of October. We were six and two Yeah. at the end of October. And I told him, I said, look, we, November is upon us and it's a different deal. You, 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 you set the table and you start fast in September. You set the table in, uh, in October. You win championships in November. And it's what are you willing to sacrifice now? What are you willing to do different? You have to double down the discipline, double down accountability, all those things to attain that specific goal. So you have to learn how to deal with with uh, with pain. And they hear it day in and day out. And you'll be surprised that we did not win those three games uh, at the end of the year. And we were in every single one of them. But you have to dig a little bit deeper in order to um, in order to overcome that and be that eight win, that nine win, that, that that championship caliber team. So we had success this year, had a winning season, but I think there's still room 
for us that there's definitely room for us to be mentally and physically tougher. And trust me, you know, that's what I'm currently working on right now on my notes. You know, talking about spring football. <laughs> You're going to run inside zone, outside zone, and power. Repeat. <laughs> Inside zone, outside zone, power. I love hey, no air raid. No Inside air raid zone, offense, JP. Outside zone, power. No Repeat. air raid going on, man. <laughs> Hell no. I love Hell it. Hell no. I love I love it. You gotta earn that right. I love it. I love it. Eddie, what I'm curious about is, I mean, you're in the college game. And, and when I talk to people around the NFL game, specifically in the scouting community, with NIL and what has gone on over these, you know, is going to continue to increase over these next several years. There is a legitimate, I don't know if concerns the right way, but a curiosity about the type of individuals that are coming into the NFL from the collegiate ranks. I'm curious what your take is on kind of how maybe players experience now over the next several years coming into the league is going to be different than all of these players that have come in before. Well, it's always been around. Um, it's just above board now. Um, I, I think that players getting okay. paid under the table through boosters, through different business people to come to various schools, especially at the top schools, this happened. But now it's above board. And I think it's a great opportunity for kids to make money on their name, image, and likeness. They, they, they deserve that. I see what these kids go through every day. And cost of attendance isn't enough. And you, you got to have that. But what it's going to create is a divide in the locker room. Guys are going to get jealous. They feel like hell. You know, um, why is he getting more opportunities than me? Maybe because the fact that they're not marketable. You know, not every player in the NFL is marketable. So uh, kids nowadays mm. are understanding their value. Um, they're understanding that, um, hey, I can go out and, and go to a school and get an NIL deal and be comfortable with that. They're in it for the money. You're going to find out real fast who loves the game of football, who wants to be great, and who's just, who's just in it just to get notoriety, who's in it just to get NIL deals, and so forth. And that's going to be the key. And I think you'll, you'll find out real quickly what's important to the player as they come in from the NFL, I mean, excuse me, the, the collegiate ranks into the NFL, what their priority is. Because with that mindset, you're not going to last very long. Hey, that's not going to happen. Th that's fantastic stuff. Eddie, we only have a, a minute that. here, but as an, as an HBCU alumna myself, I want to ask you this, because Tennessee State is one of the richest – black college football programs in history. Guys, Hall of Famers like Richard Dent and Claude Humphrey. You got Ed Tutal Jones, not a Hall of Famer, but a great player. How much yeah. do you push that history on modern era players when you're trying to recruit them? I mean, does it even work? You know, you have to remind them. Uh, these kids now, they barely know who I am. So when you talk about a Richard Dent or Claude Humphrey or Ed Tutal Jones, they're like, who? And I'm like, nah, 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 nah. You know, you got to know your history. So that's one of our pillars is tradition. So I try to, we every, in our hallway, we have um, their jersey up, their history, you know, the number of draft choices that came through, the Pro Football Hall of Famers that have come through your school, because you have to understand what you're walking into. This is not a podunk HBCU with no history. Right. So this is a school rich in tradition, you know, known for mm -hmm. physical offensive linemen, known for receivers, known for Hall of Famers, and that's, that's what needs to happen. And I think a lot of HBCUs don't get enough credit for that. Hey, Eddie, we appreciate you taking the time. That. Look, third-year coaching ever, 6-5. and five. Yeah, you didn't win those final three games. It was the first winning season at Tennessee State, I believe, since 2017. So congratulations yes, to sir. you. And on December 27th, we're going to find out the 15 Pro Football Hall oh. of Fame finalists. Best luck to you, Eddie George. Thanks for taking some time. Do y'all have a vote? Do you have a vote? I don't. You do? No. I think Steve does. No? I don't. I don't. Oh. Steve. I can lie. I can be a lobbyist. <laughs> I mean, Eddie, I'm, sorry, Eddie I'm, a buck, I'm a Buckeye, so I'm going to be lobbying for you. Hey, I appreciate it, man. How about that loss, man? God, that hurt. Yeah. That hurt. Oh, come but on. That's what it is. But hey, guys, I, I appreciate it, man. And uh, thanks for having me on. Have me back anytime. I would, I would love to come back on. Appreciate it, Eddie. I uh, loved it. Thank you so much, Eddie. How spectacular was Eddie George talking about power football? Well, coming up next, Brian Baldinger is going to be talking more power football, and he's going to walk us through the Falcons and Cake Factory. That's up next on the NFL Report. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, 
your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Welcome back to the NFL Report, my favorite segment every week. It's Baldy's Favorite Films with Brian Baldinger. And Baldy, I know you've probably still at some point just put in a tape of Eddie George and just broken it down just for fun to see what it kind of, you know, just to go back and watch him run the football. But maybe in a more current sense, what did you think about Jesse Bates and, and what he had to say in our interview considering the Falcons are sitting there in first place, 3-0 and in the division, well, at one point this year, just a couple of weeks ago, they, they actually cracked the top 10 in defense. And if you look at, you know, the addition of Jesse Bates on the back end, there was a time, Steve, you can back me up on this. There was a time when you wanted a big play against Atlanta. They just throw it, like they broke down the back end. Oh, yeah. And they would just leave receivers mm-hmm. wide open. That went on for a long time. That's not happening anymore. And Jesse Bates is a big part of it. Obviously, the pick six, the interceptions this year, the force fumbles. I mean, he's a playmaker, but at the same time, he's a communicator. You go out to practice, you're going to hear Jesse Bates shouting out signals and, and, and calls and things like that, making sure guys are getting lined up. And the Falcons aren't beating themselves on the back end anymore. Hey, Baldy, speaking of those Falcons, uh, you know, one thing you wanted to talk about, the right side of that offensive line with Chris Lindstrom mm-hmm. and Caleb McGarry, when they tried to wear down the Saints to run out the clock at the end of the game, they went right every play behind those two. What about the way they were just mauling people at the end of that game? Man. It was the single best performance, because that's a good front from New Orleans. Let's face it. It's a yeah. good front. I think that's the single best performance by a Falcon offensive line I've seen in a long time. I counted at least six knockdowns, all right, by Chris Lindstrom alone. <laughs> what? Um, I mean, they were finishing these blocks, and – then they were downfield picking off defenders, you know, when Bijan got busy like he did right here. Uh, it was an impressive performance. And getting Cordero back certainly helped. They, you know, they had four different guys really running the ball. But they, you know, McGarry and Lindstrom, that was a fine performance up front, just run blocking, just old school blocking and finishing and throwing guys over the pile. It was a lot of fun to watch. They ran the ball well, Baldy. What stood out to me is they line up B. John Robinson all over the field. He's on the field in this game for 39 snaps, 36 of them. He lines up as a running back, just almost full tilt as a back in in this game. A little bit of a different look from him. How about the Monday nighter that we had? A lot of people didn't love the game, but there was some great defensive back play from the Vikings and the Bears. Well, you know, it's a 12-10 game, and it takes, you know – Chicago would go 61 yards on the final drive to go kick the game-winning field goal. And people said, oh, it's a snooze fest. And I went in the film room and I said, no, it's not. This is black and blue division great I love that. Yeah, exactly. Brian Flores is doing a phenomenal job. I mean, as good a coaching job on any team anywhere in this league with what he's doing. Because they're a lot more than just a blitz-happy team. They're very sound in what they do. They're very fundamental in what they do. And, you know, you look at a guy like Josh Metellus and what he did in that game and all the different places that Brian puts him in, whether it's in the back end, um, you know, at a corner safety position, whether it's at linebacker, whether it's blitzing off the edge, he's found a way to use a guy that's got a tremendous variety of skills. And then on the other side, uh, when when you see what they're doing in Chicago and the improvement they've made from, let's say, the Kansas City loss, I don't know that anybody's made bigger jumps. And mm-hmm. to watch Jalen Johnson play the other night, his first <laughs> interception where he baited Josh Dobbs into that throw, I, I, I sent it out to Charles Woodson and a bunch of great corners just to tell me what they thought of the play. And, and I mean, Charles came back and said it was just brilliant to be able to bait a quarterback into looking like you're going to drive on the, the in cut and then you back out and take the seven cut away. I, I thought it was the best game that I saw Jalen Johnson play. Terrell Smith on the other side was very good. But I think right now, uh, these are two defenses that are going to give a lot of teams problems down the stretch right now. Metellus is such a chess piece. I mean, and he's such a physical player, the way yeah. he forces tur- turnovers and everything. Well, let's go back to the offensive line. The Denver Broncos. I mean, this is a unit that has stayed intact all of the season, and you're starting to see 
why some things are working on offense. No, let's just give them credit. I mean, there's McGlinchey, there's Quinn Miners, there's Cushenberry, there's Powers, and there's Bowles. I mean, that's, that's the group. They played all but five snaps together. And if you, you know, you looked at them week three or four against Washington, they weren't very good. They were leaky. Uh, Russell Wilson was getting hit a lot. But they have stayed together. They have played together. They have found a way to win games right now. They ran it 39 times at one of the best defenses in the league for 169 yards. This Javante Williams run right here, it's one after another. And it was every variety of run, guys. It was power. It was mm-hmm. inside zone. It was outside zone. They really kind of, right here, the, the fullback Burton is cutting the defensive end. They really threw a whole package of runs at Cleveland, and it was really effective. I mean, anytime you get you know the running back onto the free safety like they do right <laughs> here, that's a good job by the front. Um, more power, like Quinn Miners is having, to me, a Pro Bowl season, but everybody else out there has improved. They've played together, and this is what you hope happens over the course of the season if you can stay healthy and stay together. And that's what they have done, and they're, they're really reaping the fruits of those benefits of being out there every play this year. You know, Baldy, their star cornerback, Patrick Sertan, was asked this week, who deserves a Pro Bowl nod on this team? The first name that came to his mind was Quinn Miners. He said, when I watch the film of our offense, he makes life easier on everybody else that is out there on offense. Let's go to a defensive line in terms of the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis, two youngsters in the middle of that defensive line. I watched them play a zillion snaps on Sunday against the Bills. When I talked to Josh Sweat, he said, these guys are killing guys with old school moves that you saw 20, 30 years ago, Baldy. What are you seeing from these two massive young dominant players? Well, they had to play a lot of snaps. You know, Fletcher Cox went down with a groin pull during the game. Milt Williams was out. They, you know, they, they had to play a lot of snaps. They didn't have the normal defense tackle rotation, and they stepped up. And so Jalen Carter has been just a physical freak all year long, with, and an advanced student, not just physical. I mean, a very advanced student in how he plays the game. But Jordan Davis really popped last Sunday. I thought it was the, the best game that he played. Yep. He played with a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he played with a tremendous amount of endurance, didn't come off the field, stayed out there, was chasing Josh Allen, to the sidelines late in that game. You remember the, the belly flop there to the sidelines where I wasn't sure he was going to get back up. But the effort that both of them played with, I mean, look, <laughs> they were drafted to be the future defensive tackle for the Eagles. And we might see, we might have just seen the changing of the guard at that position between the two of them and how they played last Sunday against the Bills. Yeah, Baldy, I mean, look, that was the big was question awesome. about the Eagles with some of the key players like Javon Hargrave, who they lost. Can these young players step up? Not only have they stepped up, they've endured. They've broken through that rookie wall, and they're yep. playing best at the most important mm-hmm. part of the season. Matured. Baldy, I we agree. absolutely appreciate the insight. We'll look forward to having you back next Thursday here on the NFL Report. Love it. Coming up next, we've seen some head coach firings. Oh. What about the guys who replace him, and what's that life like? Our own Leslie Frazier knows firsthand, and he's joining us after the break on the NFL Report. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. We're back to the NFL Report, and James, now we're joined by Leslie Frazier, who works for us here at NFL Media. He's a longtime coach, and in 2010, he actually served as the interim head coach for the Minnesota Vikings. And, Coach, you wanted to talk about this particular subject, as we've seen. Of course, the Panthers fire Frank Reich, the Raiders fire Josh McDaniels, and now we have interim head coaches in those positions. And, And what can you tell us about that? Because, you know, the team has to be struggling for a coach to be fired, and all of a sudden, you're, you're brought in to at least hold things down, if not provide a spark, right? No doubt. I mean, that's, that's the deal. You know, you're coming into a situation where, you know, they're asking you to kind of steady the ship, you know, kind of rally the troops. And it's an honor, you know, that they chosen you from the coaching staff to be in that role. But, man, Steve, there are some challenges uh, when you're the interim coach. I mean, you're excited. Usually, it's a guy who's probably never been a head coach before. 
uh, but he's highly respected on the staff by the players and the team. And he, he's thrust into that role to, you know, pick everyone up and maybe hopefully turn things around. And in both Chris Tabor's case uh, with the Panthers and Antonio Pierce uh, with the Raiders, that's exactly what they're asking him to do. And I, I was reflecting on uh, when I was watching Antonio in one of his press conferences, uh, when I was in that role and what it was like. And, you know, you can get overwhelmed a little bit because you're going from, in my case, defensive coordinator to head coach. In Antonio's case, uh, position coach to head coach. In Chris's case, coordinator to head coach. And your plate gets full. There's a lot on your plate. All of a sudden, uh, that narrow focus that you had just working my side of the ball, or in Chris's case, the special teams, you know, you've got to deal with a whole lot more. And uh, you're relying so much on other people to uh, get you information and help you navigate uh, the situation. But it can be a, a daunting task, uh, but one that, you know, I'm sure Chris and both Antonio, they're, they're excited about this opportunity to show ownership that I may be the guy for the future. You may not need to interview a bunch of different people uh, going forward. I, you know, I could actually do this job. I mean, that's their goal, I'm sure, uh, in both cases to, uh, to be the head coach. Uh, the other, the downside sometimes when you are the interim from a, from a uh, con standpoint, uh, the pros being, of course, now I get a chance to be a head coach. But when, you know, you feel like I know this roster. Uh, I'm familiar with how this organization runs. Uh, the challenge uh, for me, Steve, was being, and, and James, being able to look at the roster and say, okay, can I move on from these guys that have helped me uh, get to where I am? Uh, when you put guys are a little bit long in the tooth, uh, you know, usually you want to let a guy go a year before it's too late. And sometimes your loyalty to the players can get you in trouble because uh, your affinity for them and what they've helped you to accomplish. But you got to be able to step back and say, okay, I understand the personnel, uh, but I've got to be able to make some hard decisions. And then the other part of it is staff. This is the most critical uh, transition uh, when it comes to uh, the uh, interim head coach. Uh, whether or not, you know, I, I, I've got the right guys on the staff because you got to always remember, I didn't hire this staff. Their loyalty is not necessarily to me. They were hired by yeah. someone else. So, I mean, that's another part of it. Now, I'll, I'll let you jump in there, uh, Steve. That, yeah, that's. I, I wanted to ask you about that, Coach, because we see this happen when a lot of these interim head coaches take over, right? You see a couple other members of the staff are also let go after the head coach is let go, and then the interim head coach is named. People love to dissect why those couple of assistants at times are let go after the interim head coach takes over. Could you kind of dive into what usually happens behind closed doors? Because there are a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's loyalty, sometimes it's something else, that you do move on from a couple of people on the staff after the head coach is let go when you are making the decisions as the interim head coach. Yeah, some of it is what you said, loyalty, but also, you know, job performance. Uh, but the most the most critical aspect is as you're shaping your staff. And and I I tell Antonio this, I tell Chris this, uh, you know, going forward, if they are awarded the positions uh, to really dissect this staff and determine uh, whether or not the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator or position coaches really fit the criteria that I had in mind when I was putting my staff together uh, before I became interim. Uh, so there are a lot of factors that go into why certain guys are let go and some guys are retained, uh, but it's usually uh, George, uh, job performance along with where does my, my loyalty lie? And you really have to have your guys in order for you to be successful as the head coach in this new role because it's it's far different than you were an assistant on the staff. So, so Leslie, you got hired sure. as a Vikings head coach after you served as interim head coach. But you're looking at two situations with the Raiders and the Panthers that are different. The Panthers have the number one overall pick at quarterback. The Raiders have Aiden O'Connell, who looks like he might be a keeper. But as an interim head coach who gets promoted, let's say Antonio gets promoted, 
do you say we need to rock with this guy because he helped get me there? Or we have an opportunity mm -hmm. to get into the draft or go into free agency and get another guy. Again, these, these scenarios are shaped very differently because of the quarterback and maybe the structure of that roster you were talking about. But using your firsthand experience, how much of the current roster do you want to roll with moving forward to help you succeed? That that's the wild card, man. Can you just step back and evaluate the personnel? Uh, you know, with, with a realistic lens. It's so different when you evaluate the personnel as an assistant versus the head coach, because now you're looking at you know the entire team versus one side. And when it comes to that quarterback position, Steve, if there, you know, just to be, be be frank and honest, if there's one thing I could do different with looking back. I would dig deeper into that quarterback situation than I, than I did. Uh, so for Antonio, in, in his case, and, and Chris, uh, being able to evaluate that quarterback position and get it right, even if you have to take another guy this year, get that position right. That is critical to your future success. Wow, good stuff. That is awesome. That is unbelievable insight, Steve. Coach, we, we, we can't thank you enough for really peeling back oh, yeah. the curtain on something that I think a lot of people, Steve Ray, a lot of fans around the league don't understand what really goes on when a firing I, happens in I, season I, and an interim coach has to yeah, take Yeah, and coach, we, we, let's revisit this at the end of the season. Let's revisit this conversation. That would be I'd great. Love I'd love to. That's the right. ownership stamp. Yeah. Right. yeah, let's do that. Hey, coach, you're, you, get the, you, get, you got the last I'm word right. here. We got to get out of here. We will be back on the NFL Report Monday. JP... Thank you. Thank everybody. And what listen show. to the podcast. Woo, that was loaded. Takes two hands to handle that one. That <laughs> was slam. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.